If you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn to the letter of uh, Ephesians and chapter 5? If you don't have a Bible with you, then uh, you can follow on the screen above the stage there, so uh, no problems. Or obviously look over someone's shoulder next to you if they have one. Uh, Just going to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 5 before focusing on one in particular. So Paul writes here, reading from Ephesians 5 and verse uh, 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Uh, Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Those who are often with us on a Sunday, you'll know there are a couple of uh, established uh, preaching series at the moment. And just in anticipating the new year, as elders, as we were sitting together, thought we wanted to give some attention now and again to... uh, a particular topic, um, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to begin anyway. This will be one of the occasions where we focus on uh, the Holy Spirit, and in particular today, what it means to be filled with the Spirit that this verse right here in the middle of the passage that I just read uh, speaks of. In verse 18, that will be our focus. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We're going to consider... As Paul writes this, who is he speaking to? Who is this for? Why is it necessary to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? How does it happen? And also when? Uh, as our, as we, as we go through. So firstly, who is it for? Who is Paul addressing? Is he addressing a a particular small group or just one particular uh, church even? No, he here is addressing every believer. So when we consider what it means to be filled with the Spirit, we know that he's speaking to uh, every believer, not just a select band, not just leaders or Not even just adults. We'll see later on as he's writing this letter, uh, very deliberately later on, he's addressing children. He expects children uh, to hear this letter as it's being uh, read out. Um, So this is for, this is for your benefit. This is for you to, uh, to tune into. If you're a child here, you may not understand absolutely everything that we look at. Um, Well, we're all learning anyway, so that's fine. Um, But we can all be expectant to receive encouragement and to put this into practice. He's not just speaking either to uh, a particular personality type. Uh, perhaps some of you hear the subject matter being filled with the Spirit and straight away you're excited, you're eager, you're on the edge of your seat, you're anticipating something. Perhaps others are just unsure. I, I wasn't expecting to kind of deviate from 1 Timothy or Hebrews and now we're, we're somewhere else. And uh, it, it doesn't exactly ring alarm bells, it just raises some questions. Um, well, this is for you as well. He's not just speaking to a particular generation of Christian who, who remember kind of some remarkable events in previous church history. There'd be those uh, in Ephesus um, that Paul was writing to at this point who could think all the way back 
to when Paul first visited Ephesus. And if you know what happened there in Acts 19, you know he, he found a group of 12 guys um, who he thought were disciples of Jesus. He discovers in the course of their conversation that they were disciples of John. They'd been baptized with John's baptism, but they hadn't come to believe uh, in Jesus and been baptized into Jesus' name. Um, but he, he, he discovers them. He meets with them, talks with them, and as they hear the message of the gospel in Jesus, they respond, they're baptized, Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the Spirit. They, uh, that becomes evident as they start to speak in tongues and start prophesying. And so, I guess, as they're hearing, all these years later, as that group of twelve, still in this massive church in Ephesus, are hearing the message, they're like, oh yeah, we, well we remember There'll be others perhaps who, who weren't, obviously who weren't there, who haven't had precisely uh, the same experiences, may not have the gift of prophecy, may not have the gift of, uh, of, of tongues per se. Uh, uh, well, this is for them too. It's not just for those who are already initiated into something. It's for every believer, every personality type, every generation. And dare I say as well, it's for Christians of, uh, in all sorts of conditions. Paul is, this is relevant for, dare I say, complacent Christians, compromised Christians. I remember um, times when I know that I've been compromised as a, as a young adult or as a teenager. I, I was a believer. I was a Christian. But I was very much like a chameleon who could blend in in different situations. So I learned how to blend in in the church. I, I kind of learned the, the pattern of behavior that went along with a Sunday meeting or a youth club. But really, when I went to school or I went elsewhere, I would just blend in there, really, with the prevailing behavior. Uh, people didn't really know that I was a Christian, or if they did, it was just presented in a very, um, well, complacent, compromised way. I, I go to a church. Um, I might have whispered. Um, but I wasn't emboldened. Um, yeah, well, thank the Lord that by the Holy Spirit, um, he, he brought me out of that position. So there might be some here, just... Going along with things, blending in on a Sunday, but perhaps just blending in uh, other times in the week as well when you're not with believers. Also, this is relevant for, perhaps at the other end of the spectrum, weary believers. You've been serving, you've been seeking to honour him in the whole of your life. And you've taken some knocks, you've taken some discouragements, there are some challenges maybe you're having to deal with right at the moment. And it's wearied you. It squashed your expectations of, of encountering God and being refreshed by Him. The, the expectations have become incredibly low. Others of you may be relatively recent believers, and this comes to you as, some, as, as something new that you haven't considered before or have only caught glimpses of before, and it speaks right to uh, old believers. You've been walking with the Lord for years and years. This is written to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, everyone f following him. And even then, it's not exclusive in that the offer to know Jesus, the offer of the gospel to have our sins forgiven and to receive eternal life in Jesus' name is extended to absolutely everyone. So even here this morning, if you aren't a believer in Jesus, yet you can meet him and you can receive uh, the good news that wants to through which he wants to change your life. 
So secondly then, why is it necessary? Why is it necessary for Paul to say this about being filled with the Spirit? We could notice that he is issuing a command rather than a suggestion. It follows on from actually lots of similar uh, commands where he said, do not do this, do something else instead. You know, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Um, he who has been stealing must steal, must steal no longer, rather, <laughs> but must work. So, so look, the gospel is to be outworked in our lives. There are certain things that now do not match with belonging to him. If you're a child of God, certain, evident, uh, certain changes uh, will become evident in your life, and we're being instructed in those. And here is a clear-cut instruction. Be filled with the Spirit. Why is it necessary? Well, it's a command. It's also our calling in God as a church to be a community of the Spirit. Here's the, Paul rises to a massive crescendo and as he's discussing the, the purposes of God in the gospel. And he arrives, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, um, and verse 22. He says, and in him, that is in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. There's a call on the community of believers, on the church, to be a community unlike any other. Because the Spirit of God is dwelling amongst us, living amongst us. And therefore, it's the community itself of the church, God's people, increasingly are, are demonstrating the difference that it makes to live in the light of the gospel according to God's purpose and God's design. Now, we can't just uh, produce the fruits by ourselves. It's not just that we are uh, saved on day one and loaded up with every resource to see us through our entire Christian life, our entire Christian experience. We know, and the Lord knows, that we need more. Bless him for uh, for granting us this forgiveness and this eternal life, for knitting us into uh, a community. But he wants us to know that there is more and that we need it. We need it if we're to demonstrate what this gospel looks like in our lives. So the whole of life is is affected. Paul's going to go on to talk to wives and husbands about how they walk out their uh, their faith in their marriage. And maybe for you, you're experiencing some challenges, some testing in that. If you're here, you're married, wives, thinking, how am I going to follow this guy? How, how am I going to live out the gospel in the challenges that we're facing together at the moment as a couple? And, and husbands, I, I know the call of God on me to lead, uh, to lead humbly and graciously, but to, uh, but to leave in a godly way that presents challenges and tensions. And so we realize, don't we, we come to the end of our own natural resources and we need God. We need his help. Parents in raising children, we encounter, we know. Sometimes, sometimes things are going swimmingly well. Sometimes we hit against challenges and we hit against our own limitations. So God, I know I need you. Children, you know that you need God. Obeying mum and dad is not always 
easy or desirable. There are challenges for you. Maybe there are challenges in other spheres of life as well. I spoke just a moment ago of being in school, and even though I was a believer, just very much blending in with, with whatever my friends would be involved with, whatever they were saying. That would set the culture. I would just blend in with it. And you know the challenges in your family or perhaps outside your family, in school, in life, in friendship groups. If you are following Jesus... Sometimes the pressure comes. It's not easy to show the world and to tell the world, actually, I'm I'm walking in a slightly different way. I'm following a saviour. I want to live for him. So actually, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there this time. You're living your life by different values, and it shows. Well, therefore, we know we need God's help. Paul will go on to talk to slaves and masters, terms with which we might not readily identify, thankfully. Nevertheless, you know what your day-to-day life involves in the workplace. That might be leading a business, as we heard this morning, responsible for people that you employ. They're not slaves, but you have a responsibility towards them to lead. How are we going to do this? You know the tensions and the decisions that need to be made. And we, we come to the end of our own resources, or perhaps you work in a scenario which is, uh, which is equally challenging, and you're working out, how do I honor my boss? How do I, how do I work in this organization where morale is just going through the floor every day? It finds a new floor. It's got through rock bottom and then it's gone further still. And I want to shine for God in this place, but it's hard. How do I do that? And he goes on to talk about being strong in the Lord and being, being aware that we're in a spiritual battle. Being aware of the, the, uh, the fiery darts of the evil one who comes to accuse, who comes to discourage, and we're called to take our stands. We shouldn't be surprised if we, or time and time again, we become aware of our limitation, of our, of our need. This is why it's necessary to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit and to have our expectations match what the Scripture says here. And to pay attention to the negative part of the command as well. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. We're not talking about challenges and tensions that the world knows nothing about. But uh, there are many ways in the world where people are trying to cope. They're trying to get through. They're trying to endure when life gets gets hard, and one of those unhelpful, worldly coping strategies is to get drunk, is to have too much to drink, is just to try and forget about everything. That's the only way of trying to, uh, trying to find something positive, trying to have a happy time. I remember speaking or hearing from a guy uh, some time ago, actually now, uh, and he was recounting some of the challenges that he experienced in the workplace, because... By virtue of his job, he would be rubbing shoulders all the time with people in, in desperate situations, facing difficult trauma, life-changing moments. And, and he was there to, to help and to support and to, to guide them on. Uh, but aware that many of his colleagues, uh, after hours, would be turning to drink. Turning to, that was their way of getting through. That was their way of recovering, perhaps, after a hard day's work. I'll just have another one. I'll just have another one. And he spoke about, well, actually, 
I was aware I could go that way, but by God's grace, I, I used to just speak in tongues. It may be just under my breath during the day. And, and he helped, that's one of the ways in which he helped me. He helped me to, to persevere when pressures got to him. Uh, speaking last week about the, the qualifications for being an overseer. Mentioned one of them is to not be given to, to drunkenness. And noticing that, again, this, this passage is addressing believers. Believers will know something of the temptation here. And uh, just aware, in thinking about it last week, of a church leader in another place, in another church, and it, it came to light. People just started to, uh, to smell on his breath a, a strong smell of alcohol on a Sunday morning. After, after however many years of secretly coping that way, of just drinking to get through, I guess facing ministry pressures of some sort or another, maybe, uh, uh, maybe the loneliness or perhaps being aware of others' expectations and just being squashed by it a little bit and rather than heed this scripture, he turned, turned to drink. It's, it's important to, to avoid This apparent coping strategy. Well, it's nothing of the sort, really. Remember when uh, Jesus told the story of two sons, one of whom said to the, his father, uh, give me half of my inheritance now. I'm going. I'm leaving this household. I'm doing my own thing. And the father gives him half of his wealth. And so he goes away. And it says there uh, in, in Luke chapter 15 that he squandered his wealth in wild living. At the beginning, you could think he had so much. Just to look at the, the human resources, the financial resources available, he had so much squandered, wasted, thrown away. It says, in wild living. If, if we're given over to, uh, to drunkenness and drinking too much, we become less of who God intended us to be. It's wild, it's kind of animal, and it's wasteful. All those resources gone. I can remember speaking to a guy and it was really hard to make head nor tail of, of what he said sometimes because through, through constant uh, misuse of alcohol, uh, his brain had just become poisoned uh, and shrunk. So his, his own, the functions of his brain had deteriorated over time. He wasn't clear, I don't think, on what reality was. And just tragic to see uh, what had been wasted. So we've got to see the instruction here. Now, this is absolutely important. Don't, don't get drunk on wine. It doesn't lead to any improvement. It doesn't really offer any, any help or development. It leads to, to destruction and wasting that which we do have. Of course, it might not be uh, that alcohol is a particular issue. It could be um, some other action or behavior or substance, I think, well, like alcohol, it's not, in the Bible, banned entirely, but can quickly become addictive and lead to problems. I think Paul can write to Timothy and say, well, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. But don't get drunk on wine, this, this excess, this getting absolutely soaked. Well, there are obviously other things, I suppose, that are, in today's day and age, in a, in a similar category couldn't say that they were wrong in themselves, but they can quickly become addictive. We can quickly become filled up with something. And that's what's influencing 
influencing us. Uh, could be uh, could be social media. Just it's easy. Time, money, energy is just always going in that direction. Just keep keep checking, keep checking. There are other things going on, but we can't give our attention to them because we've we've got drawn in, we've got sucked in, and it's become an addictive uh, habit. And other things, other resources, other activities, just uh, ignored. I remember when uh, Bless Anne and I most recently went to uh, to India on the Sunday morning. This was actually something where lots of people in that church just outside Delhi were wanting to respond to. Time and again, we, nothing had been said from the front about social media, but lots of people were coming forward. Would you please pray for me? I want to walk free from my addiction to social media. It's wasting my time. Actually, it's wasting my money as well. And that's what the Lord was just uh, dropping in. So it's, it's necessary for any number of reasons that we pay attention uh, to this uh, scripture. Whilst also bearing in mind, look, the message of the gospel is not just do not. Do not do this. You can't do that. No, that's out. Well, that's easily addictive, so you need to stop that over there. Sometimes people can have that conception of what it means to be a Christian. Is, well, here's the list of things that you can't do. Here's a list of the things that you've got to just get rid of. Uh, oh, right. Well, fantastic. Well, we've got to play. Well, what, what does it mean then to be filled with the Spirit? We're not just being told something negative. We're being told something really positive. This is not just a negative instruction. We're being told, and here is the way to go. Here is what to be filled up with. Here is what will help you to become more of who God designed you to be. You can turn in the direction of alcohol and you become less of what God designed you to be. But we turn to him and we turn to the Holy Spirit. To be filled with him, it, it stimulates us. It doesn't depress us and squash us. It, it influences us, us in a good way. Well, what, what does it mean? Obviously, we've seen there that the, the reference to alcohol is a, is a clear instruction. Primarily, it means do not get drunk. But the reference to drinking also provides, in a way, an interesting parallel or illustration of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You see, if someone had clearly had too much to drink, we would say that, that person is under the influence. They are under the influence of having had too much to drink and it's affected all of them. It's affected everything. It's affected how they're walking. They're unsteady on their feet. It's, uh, it's affected their inhibitions. Those seem to have been lost. Maybe therefore it's affected the volume or the amount uh, of talking that they do because those inhibitions have been, been lost. It becomes, it becomes clear in every, in every way that they are under the influence. And as a family, we had an experience recently uh, traveling on the train, having been away for a day, visiting some, some family, uh, riding back on the train, and our youngest was just about to drop off uh, to sleep, and then the train stopped at Leicester. Lovely place. Um, but Man City had been playing Leicester that day, in Leicester. And so onto the train came a whole bunch of people who I imagine had quite enjoyed the game. Because I suppose on the whole, if you are a Man City supporter... Most games at the moment you are going to enjoy. So on they come. And clearly they had been drinking possibly before the game, during the game, after the game, and now on the train and into the quiet carriage. Uh, 
Yeah, fantastic. And two sisters uh, sat down next to us and just got chatting, and they could not stop. And there was no chance of anybody amongst us dropping off for the final kind of hour or so of the journey. This was just, well, in some ways, hilarious. They were so disinhibited and and talking and talking loudly and uh, finding everything funny. And on the whole, we were finding them funny as well, which was great because further down the carriage, there were some others and, and they weren't so funny. They were disinhibited, but they're not in a happy way at all. So we're like, we were glad we got the happy drunks sat with us. Um, definitely under the, uh, under the influence of something. Uh, what was interesting, actually, is as we were sat there, the, there was a guy sat the other side of them. We hadn't been speaking to their, him particularly, but he was on the same journey all the way from where we travelled from. And as we got chatting, well, they, we had to chat because they were chatting to us. It became apparent... <laughs> that he was a member of staff at Hope City Church. So actually, they were surrounded. They had this guy from Hope City Church, uh, and we explained that we were from City Church. Well, we do believe in hope as well. But um, um, so, so there was a moment where the kind of tables turned, and we were saying, well, maybe God set this up a little bit. You know, you're, you're surrounded by us, actually. Maybe God's getting getting your attention. And they were just asking about church and and sharing a bit about their uh, their previous experience in a Catholic church growing up. thought, who knows if they remember anything. Um, but let's hope so. Anyway, we see that massive disinhibition is something that was evident in the Bible in the New Testament times when God's people, believers, received the Holy Spirit. They were doing what they were told. They were waiting in uh, the first part of Acts. They were waiting for the Father to send the Holy Spirit now that Jesus had ascended to heaven. And uh, they were having, well, maybe it was a fantastic prayer meeting, but they were tucked away, all praying. They received the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, uh, I would imagine that the volume increased. That suddenly, all together, they start speaking out the praises of God. And now it can't even be contained to just one room, and I guess maybe double glazing hadn't been invented, so noise travelled anyway, it just becomes apparent. Something's happening. This is causing a stir, and people start to gather to see. And many people struck by what was happening. It says in Acts chapter 2, actually, that some people just thought they'd had too much to drink. And Peter says, well, that can't be the case, because it's only the third hour in the day. It's only it's nine o'clock in the morning. There's been no chance to get... Uh, get drunk. The, this isn't happening because people have got filled with wine. It's okay, folks. It's, this is something else. This is happening because Jesus died, was uh, rose again to new life, ascended to heaven, and has now given the Holy Spirit. That's what's been poured out abundantly. That's what's uh, going on right here. And therefore, even Peter himself has lost his inhibitions. The man who daren't say that he was with Jesus, even to a, a servant girl in a courtyard, but like a month or so earlier, is now standing up, maybe even propped up by the rest of the eleven, declaring what's happening, explaining the scripture, going to Joel, going elsewhere in the Bible to say, this is that, this is what's happening, this is the Spirit of God being poured out. And that can sometimes be apparent when people are being filled 
with the Spirit. We may see some of those physical manifestations of not being quite so steady on their feet. Their speech is affected or they're, they're just starting to pray out in a way they hadn't done before. Jesus promised you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so when people have experienced being filled with the Spirit, they might think, well, actually, there was a a time I didn't say anything about my faith. I didn't bring it into conversation. But actually, I know something's happened, and now there's a freedom, there's a liberty to do that, to share in the gospel. But I suppose it's important as well not to be overly distracted by just physically what we might observe. It's not that it's intrinsically more godly to be loud. Sometimes the Lord speaks in a still, small voice. It's not always fireworks. But it's not just, we'll be loud and therefore the anointing will flow. And sometimes just in terms of temperament, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, people respond in different ways. I can remember speaking to one friend some years ago, and he, uh, he spoke to me... After some encounter of God filling him with the Spirit, he said, I just, I just wish I could be a bit quieter. He was loud by nature. He's a, a, a big character. He was obvious in the room. And so when God came upon this loud, gregarious character, he tended to respond in quite loud, gregarious ways. I remember some years later going to a student weekend away and uh, another friend, very, very, very thoughtful, much quieter in his personality, when he was filled with the Spirit, there weren't any fireworks. He wasn't shaking dramatically, unable to stand. He wasn't any louder, actually. But I noticed that the meeting had finished, and he was still stood there. And he didn't look like he wanted to go. So he just stuck around. Others had, had gone on. It had been a great time. I'm sure other people have been blessed in, 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 in similar ways. He was just stood there and chatted to him later. He wasn't shouting from the rooftops about it, but he was just able to say, this is what was happening. This is what I felt the Lord was really bringing to my attention. It's like a kind of visionary experience. It's, it's not the same for each person. And sometimes what we can do in these moments, perhaps that some of us can feel nervous on the topic, Straight away, we just go into comparison mode. How is someone else responding? And, oh, I'm not, I'm not responding in quite the same way. I'm not feeling it in quite the same way. And then we lose focus on God, and we're just focused on our own sensations and can feel discouraged because uh, our loud friend in the corner is really bouncing off the ceiling. Well, if we put our attention on God, we remember who he is, that he's a father with an incredibly large family, with with attention for all of us. He's a good father. He knows how to give good gifts, different times in different ways. And he, he's, he can hand select things. So this is what I'm giving to you. This is what I'm going to help you with today. Rather than like, like jealous siblings going into comparison mode. And sometimes then when we're coming to ask God that we might be filled with the Spirit, all that we have in mind is what that other person went through. I want exactly what they got. Well, that may not be what the Lord exactly wants, wants to do. It's important for us to realize as well that we're looking at a big, a big God, a big subject that 
we're, talk, we're talking here about life in the Spirit, not just meetings. Not just meetings in the Spirit. Yeah, sure, that's involved when, when Paul goes on to talk about how now that we're filled with the Spirit, we're speaking to one, one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're singing and making music in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Yes, of course, there's going to be an impact what happens when we get together. But that's not all that's in view. This is about the whole of our lives, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there'll be special moments. That's the case for children with their parents when, when sometimes you're just walking along the street holding hands. Well, I know my father loves me. Other times when a father or a mother might uh, kind of run to their child, chase their child, catch them, throw them up in the air and catch them and tickle them. Special and amazing experiences. But it's not that that's happening all the time. We still know that the Father loves us and has made his spirit available to strengthen us. Maybe strengthening us in worship, a greater appetite and desire to, to, to worship him, strengthening us and equipping us with different spiritual gifts. Yeah, we might rank them. I don't think the Lord does, but he gives, gives uh, the gift of hospitality, gift of administration, gift of speaking in tongues, gift of interpreting, and many more besides. Also that strength, that power to witness and share our faith. And a strength to know what um, what Linda was reading out earlier on from uh, from Ephesians chapter 3, what Paul prays for us. Praying that you might have the strength to know through the Spirit, I might be jumbling up the word order a little bit, this all-surpassing wonderful love of God for you, of God for us. And also, in addition to all of those things and having an increased appetite for worship, an increased appetite for the Word of God, for meeting Him there in His Word. Having that shape our convictions, what we believe and how we live. There's a similar verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul writes there, he says to them, uh, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And to the Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. To the Colossians, he says, Lord, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, are we supposed to choose? I'm going to be a Word kind of a Christian. I'm going to be a Spirit kind of a Christian. No, it's a nonsense to make that kind of distinction. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. And so as we get into His Word, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're reading what He has inspired others to have written many years ago. Are we getting it in? Are we filling ourselves on that? Paul prays, doesn't he, elsewhere about that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know him better. And in that tongue uh, that was brought earlier on and interpreted, that just seemed to be a feature. Oh God, I want to know you more. Yes, there's an interest and a desire for gifts and we're encouraged to pursue them. But ultimately, right at the crux of it, I want to know God more. I want to know with him. I want to know him. I want to walk with him. Whether it is a real blessed and easy time at the moment or right in the midst of challenge. 
Paul prays for the Philippians that their love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Sometimes as Christians we can just settle. That's it. I've had enough. I've got enough. I'm sure that will see me through. Here's what I understand. There are certain things I just don't understand. I don't think I'll ever understand. So I'll just kind of settle with what I have. But well, no. I think Paul would pray for us that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And you spend time with that, with that mature believer in their 80s or 90s who've just walked with God consistently, sometimes dramatically, but in ordinary circumstances as well. And they've just cultivated a relationship with God, fueled by his word and filled with the spirit. You just get so encouraged, so strengthened. And part of the way in which that's evident is just in the fruits of the Spirit. I think, wow, such, such self-control. You see, being filled with wine, we lose self-control. We be filled with the Spirit, and that's what it leads to. It leads to self-control. That would have tripped me up years ago. I would have stumbled. I would have lost my temper or, or something else. But the, the Spirit of God at work in me is now helping me to say no to ungodliness. And so there's a fruitfulness. How does it happen? How are we to be filled with the Spirit? This is an instruction. So it's talking, us, talking to us about something that God does, but it's also encouraging us to take some steps. I may have hinted at a few already that actually, obviously, the Scripture will be involved examining and meditating on God's word, helping us to yield more and more of our lives to him. So that it's his Holy Spirit that's influencing our, our desires, our aspirations, our thoughts, what we believe and how we're living as well. And, and connecting with him can mean deliberately needing to disconnect from other things. Some, sometimes what might prevent us being filled with the Spirit is that there is so much just competing for our attention. So many things competing for our time. Um, in the mornings, I tend to uh, read the Bible on my phone. Got a particular app. Go through a particular uh, reading. Um, it's a great help. But the challenge of it is, you know, well, so many notifications can come up. And if it's connected to the Wi-Fi in the house, ping, 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 WhatsApp messages from family, certain news headlines start filtering through. Think, oh, this is great, but there's, there's, there's a competition for my attention. So, right, disconnect from those things. There could be some, some apps on your phone that aren't like ungodly, but you can just get drawn in and sucked into them. Think, ah, oh, I might just disable that one for now. Just disconnect from Wi-Fi or other things. Why? Because even if it's just for 10 minutes, I want undistracted time with the Lord rather than fielding so many things from different places. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and so on. So we have to remember that when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person, we're talking about God, and a person can be grieved or they can be pleased. We want to please the Holy Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit 
can't happen at the same time that we are grieving him in some way. That could be by unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths. Just we've, we've, we've entertained, we've accommodated a bit of compromise in how we're talking to others or about others. That's kind of spilling out an unwholesome way of talking. Uh, bitterness that's being nursed, unforgiveness. Now, Paul addresses all of this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Welcoming the Holy Spirit is not just about the moments in a meeting where we want to kind of in, accommodate his activity and we're singing, we're worshipping and we adopt a certain posture. It's, no, it's, it's absolutely everything. It's in all of life. There are certain things for us to do and, and not be passive in. We, we need to take, take action. And also recognize our thirst. Maybe that's just where we started. Facing lots of challenges. Wanting to live out the gospel. And yet knowing challenges or we just reach the end of our resources. Sometimes it's possible, literally, just to not really realize we've got thirsty. And you, you just kind of take a sip of water and you realize, I can just quickly drink the whole glass and it doesn't even touch the sides. I'm that thirsty. I remember once... Um, being at a meeting uh, through the day, and I got myself dehydrated. Uh, I'd had you know, a few sips of coffee, and uh, the, the routine of the day was a bit different from the normal. So I started to feel properly unwell. I didn't realize what the problem was. And then I saw the person with first aid, and they took me into a room, and there were loads of other people who were dehydrated there as well, all lying down. Right, Just eat this. Drink this. And then you start to be refreshed. We can be plowing on with our busy routines in life sometimes. We've forgotten that we're thirsty. And perhaps we've even forgotten the promises of God, things that Jesus has said to encourage us in that moment. We can become very self-reliant. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. It's about me coping. It's about me getting through. I've got to pull, I've got to find the resources in myself to handle what's going on in life right now. And there's just the word of God from the lips of Jesus saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Actually, streams of living water will flow from within you. Are you, are you thirsty? In any particular area, you're just thinking, oh God, just calling out for you. Well, come and ask. Ask him. There are different ways of asking, I suppose. There are ways of asking God which are are fear-driven. I'm not quite sure if God's really there for me. I'm not quite sure. And so the nature of asking is just just anxiety-driven. Just looking at what other people are experiencing. Forgetting that God's promises are available for us. No, we want to come with faith. Therefore, we want to come by looking at his word. What has Jesus said? What do the apostles say? What was happening in the early church? Rather than just plow on regardless, to express to him our thirst and come to him. When do we do that? Well, the instruction here in Ephesians is go on being filled with. The tense, the grammar is 
something that's continuous, to keep happening. This is not just a once and for all uh, fix. It's not just for one spectacular moment. It's no, sometimes it may look fairly ordinary to be filled with the Spirit. Just getting into His Word, praying, but then asking with faith. Lord, I know you give good gifts to your children. I know you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So here I am, I'm thirsty, and I'm asking.